Welcome to Educate for Life. This is Kevin Conover. I'm your host here in Southern California. You can see if you're watching us online where we are broadcasting live on Facebook, KPraise, 12, 10 a.m. And uh, we're also on FM 106.1 up in North County. And uh, I'm back in the studio for the first time. I can't believe this. This is crazy. Um, and the studio looks totally different. Uh, we've got uh, shields up here between uh, uh, me and the guests. We've got new chairs, which look like they just came out of some sort of a race car, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, and so we're talking about um, today, we're talking about all kinds of different stuff. Before I get into that, before I introduce our guest, I just want to remind you about my website, educateforlife.org. And uh, my website is meant to give you all kinds of resources to be able to defend a biblical worldview, right? So it's, a, it's an apologetics uh, website. And there's all kinds of stuff up there with interviews with people from all over the place. Uh, just recently, um, we've been talking a lot about the race issues that are popping up all over the country and uh, is in the news everywhere. And um, I think it's really important because as a Christian, we need to be able to discuss these issues in a way that is uh, compassionate, loving, and intelligent, right? And so we want to um, really be able to represent Christ well. We don't want to mistakenly think that our view is the Christian view or the biblical view when, in fact, we're doing something or teaching something that's off base. And so um, I, am, I think that dialogue over these issues is critically important. I think a lot of times we get trapped in our bubbles, whether those are political bubbles, whether those are social bubbles, whether those are um, even, you know, just interest, bubbles of interest in which we don't ever get out of those. And so we kind of have this group think going on and we never get to hear somebody else's perspective who's actually doesn't think the way we do. And so I try to break through those barriers whenever I can and have the opportunity to talk to people who don't agree with me or have views that are slightly different than mine. And so today my guest is Eric Young and currently he works in San Diego. Um, he's in the government. He works as a homeless advisor and director of protocol in San Diego. And what's really cool about Eric, and I'm, I'm super excited that we touch base here, is he's actually a former student of mine. Um, back in, he graduated in 2009 and uh, just a super nice guy. And he reached out to me on Facebook after some discussions were taking place. And we actually had a great phone call. And Eric, I, I really appreciate that. I think that's not something that a lot of people do. A lot of people get into, um, you know, shouting matches and they just disintegrate into like, you know, being separate. So true. Yeah. And, so you, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you took the time to actually say, hey, I'd like to talk to you literally like right now, which um, I just want to applaud you for that because. Well, thank you for taking my call. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. And and um, it makes me excited too, because you're rising up here in San Diego as a leader in the community. And it's really cool to know that there are people like you that are influencing government and, and influencing policy. Um, people that are willing to talk and have those discussions. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous when you asked me to come on the show and then walking into this beautiful studio, I was like, oh, this, it is, is, this is real. Yeah, <laughs> This is legit. It's not, it's not in somebody's garage. Right? It's not in somebody's in, in garage or anything like that. I was like, oh, man. And then looking at the Ferrari chairs and yeah, everything. I know. I'm like, oh. That's awesome. This is the real deal. Well, well, you're dressed the part, man. You just you I just, just got, got off work, work yeah. so yeah, you look sharp. You look better than I do. So you right look on. comfortable, though. Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, that's great. So what we're going to be talking about today, I'm trying to approach this from different angles too. So for those of you listening, um, you know, I'm trying to approach this from different perspectives. And when I interviewed Clay Williams last week, a lot of what we were talking about um, was his experiences, and also um, we were talking about what what are the big issues that the black community is upset about? 
and uh, those that are upset because, again, we don't want to treat any group like a monolith because not everybody thinks the same. There's a lot of people that 100%. have different thoughts about these issues. And and today, when I was talking with Eric to to uh, talk about coming on the air, Eric, I asked you specifically um, because you mentioned something I thought was really important. You said, I believe um, that equity and opportunity are are a key factor in solving some of the issues that we're dealing with today. Yeah. And so I asked you, what do you think are some of the major areas in which there isn't equity currently for maybe the black community mm -hmm. and um, opportunity can be increased? And um, so, and just so you know where we're coming from, um, Eric, can you share with our listeners just where you fall um, politically? <laughs> um, just because I like to have full disclosure on these issues. Sure. And, I, and I'll share with everybody. I think most of our listeners know where I'm coming from, but. So um, politically, I fall center, center right. I lean more fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Okay. Um, very progressive on that stance. Uh, I view myself as an independent. I'm very anti-political parties, um, polarized spectrums. I'm not a huge fan of at all. Um, I think a lot of it, because we're talking about systemic racism, yeah. there's a lot of policies on both parties um, can take the sins equally. Um, that have done a lot of harm to a lot of uh, marginalized communities. And yeah. So I'm not in support of either. You're 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 um, going for whatever candidate has got the best solutions to what you see as the issues. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to look at each individual, um, their policy that they stand for, the platform that they represent, and so I've voted for both sides. I voted for Republicans. I voted for Democrats. Gotcha. Um, Okay, awesome. And so the, if if you're tuning in, you've never heard my views. I am uh, very much a conservative. Um, I've never voted anything other than Republican. And um, for the same reasons, uh, although Eric and I have different perspectives, that's okay, right? Um, we both are Christians, um, and Eric loves the Lord. Yeah. I love the Lord. And Christians don't always agree. And that's just the nature of being human. Um, <laughs> we're not infinite. We don't have the knowledge of God. And so we're doing the best we can to wrestle with the issues and come to the best conclusions we can. And so uh, in this interview, Eric, um, and I think you're comfortable with this. I know on the phone we talked about it. I'll push back a little bit if there's something that um, you present that I think, well, what about this, right? And uh, we're good with that, right? Yeah, okay. I, I very, I'm not a huge fan of like gotcha politics or going after like a, a missaid word yeah. instead of looking at the substance of the conversation and the a point that you're going for. Absolutely. So I definitely go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we're I'm not, fine we're, with uncomfortable conversations. Awesome. That's great. I welcome it. I think that's one of the best places to be. And I'm the same way. And I think a lot of the guests I've had on the show have taught me a lot. So um, I, I, um, that's part of the reason I wanted you on is because you had a perspective that was different than mine. So why don't we start with this? Um, you know, why don't you tell us where... So I was thinking about the thesis mm -hmm. of these issues. And my thesis, generally speaking, is that the majority of the issues we're dealing with today are coming from the breakdown of the family. And I don't, I don't mean that um, just for the black community. I mean that in general. 41% uh, of all kids right now are born out of wedlock. And so I think we're seeing a lot of issues that are, that are coming to the surface because of the breakdown of the family. And I think this has been happening since the 1960s. It's been this slow mm -hmm. trend towards um, families breaking apart or maybe not seeing the significance of staying together. And so I would say because of the huge amount of um, kids being born out of wedlock in uh, specifically uh, certain areas and um, that this is facilitating a lot of the problems that we're having. Mm -hmm. If you were to give a thesis as to the solution, 
to make your case with a, a one sentence declaration of here's where we need to focus to solve these problems, what would that thesis be? What would that argument be? I think the argument would be like uh, what I've kind of thought about is uh, I call it five pillars. Okay. Um, it's uh, reparations. Uh, it, it is urban planning, education, justice system reform, things along those lines. Okay. And healthcare. And I think understanding that and the root causes of those, they're all intertwined. Yeah. And understanding the root causes of those also answer the question of broken families. Okay. Um, answer the, uh, the questions of single motherhood uh, that disproportionately affects black and brown communities. Right now, it's talking about black communities, but it disproportionately affects marginalized com communities, people who are impoverished, and it, all, all of those. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, why don't we pick up with where these pillars that you've identified, what do you think, let's start with whatever pillar you want to um, in order to discuss, okay, how do we, how do we help move, how do we move mm. forward in this situation? So I wanted to open up with a quote. Okay, um, go for it. I come, my father's 20 something years in military. And I think oftentimes I, when we discuss these issues, I hear, sometimes I'll hear pushback. I know it's not coming from you uh, about like, do you not love America? Oh. I am a staunch patriot. <laughs> I love America, and that's why I criticize it. Yeah, um, I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing to fight for change, um, and I'm willing for, to st stand on that and die on that hill. Okay. So James Baldwin, one of, I love James Baldwin. He says, I love America more than any other country in the world. Exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And American history is longer, larger, and more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. And I just think that really holds true. Um, so another note is that coming on here, I'm not saying, propounding that I'm a, educated um, on certain levels of policy. Um, these are more broad pillars of ideas, and I definitely don't want to take the place of educators and people who are more succinct on these ideas and data points. Sure, sure. Um, and I don't, I'm not a monolith of, as you mentioned earlier, of just the black community or Christians alone. Is just some a lot of thoughts and ideas that I have for myself. Um, one of the last notes I always want to try to tackle is that there's oftentimes what is quoted from a, a great book I love is that there's often a discomfort and defensiveness on the part of the America when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. I don't. So when I'm talking about these, I don't want handouts. I don't want uh, I'm sorry or kente cloth wearing foot-washing allies, I am looking for, for people to listen, have empathy, and have actionable. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. It's not a position of victimhood. Yeah. It's uh, self-determination, um, pursuit of, like, as you mentioned before already, equality, yeah. equity, and justice. Equality of opportunity. I mean, that's what, that's what the Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence says, that the whole pursuit of happiness is equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome, equality of opportunity. So a hundred percent. I yeah. completely agree with that. I yeah. don't want a uh, forced equality of outcomes. Exactly. Right. Okay. That's, and so you're not a socialist then is what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can go there. I, <laughs> okay. I can go there. Let's, rabbit not trail. Track. Let's not get off track. <laughs> we can go back to that. Yeah. Sorry. I love that. talking about that too. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, that's great. So yeah, give us, give us uh, your pillar yeah. here. So uh, reparations is the first one I have. Okay. I think reparations uh, is needed. Uh, it is required, and it's something that we demand, uh, I demand, uh, be accounted for. We have over 400 years of oppression, 300 years of slavery, sharecropping laws, black code laws, um, 
testing on black citizens. We had lynching laws, um, lack of access to being on a jury, lack of access to voter rights. Uh, we had so many perpetuated laws that have just stemmed all the way till 2020 that there needs to be an account for the 300 plus years when there was slavery of free labor. In this so, nation. so um, you know, the pushback that everybody's going to say on that um, on the right would be um, you were never a slave personally mm -hmm. and they were never a slave owner. Mm -hmm. So the, the complaint comes up, um, why am I paying for something that I never did? And why are you getting rewarded for something that you never you never suffered? Mm -hmm. um, how, how would you respond to that? I'm just curious. I was I would respond to that is that when we and I'll divulge a little bit longer when sure. we look at housing policy. Yeah. When we look at generational wealth, um, oftentimes when we look at, for example, a white household versus a black household when it comes to wealth, they have about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars of household wealth compared to the black family that has much much less than that. I know I wrote down the stats somewhere. It's uh, seventeen thousand. And so when we talk about that, there's even for poor white Americans, they have had more access of opportunity, such as access of education that has, has given greater opportunity for upward mobility and self-determination. Okay. And so when we say paying for that, I, I think that it's very important to note is that we're looking at there's 300 something plus years of free labor that built the greatest country the world has ever known. That amounts for something and that should be taken into. Okay, so we're coming up on, here on a break here, and we're, on a, we're off to a, a, a start right away here with the reparations as a very <laughs> controversial issue, but uh, that's great. I, I love these uh, discussions. So um, we'll be right back. My name is Kevin Conover. You're listening to Educate for Life Radio on KPraise down here in Southern California. My guest today is Eric Young. His Facebook page, he's just started this with his sister. It's called The Young Black Sheep, and you can check that out on Facebook and check him out and his ideas and his sister's ideas. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and we're going to continue to talk about what Eric sees as the solution to uh, some of the issues that we're dealing with today in America. And I'm going to give him a little bit of pushback and we'll continue to dialogue over these issues. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. This is Kevin Conover. You're on Educate for Life Radio. We are broadcasting in Southern California on KPraise 1210 AM as well as FM 106.1. And we're all also all over the internet. We're all um, on Facebook. Uh, Facebook and YouTube. We're also on my website. So all kinds of places you can check it out. I've got hundreds of interviews up. I've got some pretty amazing interviews that are dealing with a lot of the issues that we're talking about today. People come from coming from different perspectives. So um, not too long ago, I interviewed a black pastor here in, in uh, Southern California. And two of my uh, uh, former students, black students, also have an interview with Mason Weaver. Very, very interesting. Uh, former Black Panther. And um, today, my guest is Eric Young, and he works here in Southern California in the San Diego government. He's involved with the homeless and a lot of other stuff. He's doing a lot of things. Uh, young man, um, you must be very ambitious. Uh, so <laughs> you're doing a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool. But anyway, what we're talking about today is equity uh, of opportunity. Um, and Eric, uh, you've sta stated that this is you have five pillars that you think mm -hmm. we need to see changes in. Mm -hmm to create that equity of opportunity. So let's pick up where you left off yeah. with reparations and so, go ahead. Yeah, so the first thing I think is should be acknowledgement is past injustices, um, acknowledging that there's been both racism and system, systematic and institutional racism yeah. that exists both in the past and till today. And so that's the first acknowledgement when I talk about reparations is having an understanding. Of what okay, so that's a great, 
something that needs to be clarified is exactly what is the definition of reparations. So mm -hmm. I think, um, I don't think anybody is going to have a problem acknowledging that uh, the, historically uh, slavery and racism were horrible things mm -hmm. that hurt a lot of people and uh, killed people and is just awful. Mm -hmm. um, but, at the, but then um, the question becomes, you know, how, how far does that go based on the fact that, you know, um, the people today, I don't know if there's, I doubt there's anybody living in America today, uh, white or black or any color that's mm -hmm. ever owned a slave mm -hmm. is, well, I've had people on um, talking about slavery in America today, so I know that there is still um, there is uh, mm -hmm. sexual slavery going on and things like that. But beyond that, mm -hmm. when it comes to what we're talking about, antebellum slavery in the mm -hmm. South, um, so help me out. How far does these reparations go? Are you asking people to pay money in order to um, help mm -hmm. increase home ownership among? Uh, you know, the black community or what, what are you talking yeah, about? I think it, encomp it encompasses a lot of the whole discussion. That's why I led with reparations. Yeah. So when it talks about healthcare um, and when it talks about, um, when I talk about establishing equity, um, offering the, the urban planning and the injustices that were done, a lot of the money that would be funneled in when it comes to e equity is part of the reparations. So now would these reparations just be to those that are currently not doing well? So for example, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of um, blacks who are doing incredibly well. They're uh, especially when you look at black athletes, right? They're making money into the millions. Mm -hmm. um, would you still give reparations for them, or would be, would it be kind of low income people? Or what do you what do you? It, think it would about? be for everyone. It in would the be black for community. everyone. And okay. so I'll further explain. So I kind of relate it. So first is the um, acknowledging the past injustices and the current injustices. The next one is talking about that words are important, symbols are important, but most importantly, it's having intention and action, actionable steps that change. Mm -hmm. And so understanding um, that, that the caste system and that was geographically done by the government and those policies have kind of reshaped and haven't remedied some of the issues. So we can talk about the Fair Housing Act. Uh, reshaped, but didn't remedy. So give me, give me an example so, of, of how that is currently going on today for our mm -hmm. li listeners. Yeah, yeah so um, for example is the incarceration rates of black males. And it is disproportionate for the same crimes. So we're talking about the justice system. Yeah. That um, we, we can talk about people, individuals who have been formerly incarcerated as well for crime bills that I can go further into. Now, they, wouldn't you, but wouldn't you respond to those on an individual case by case basis, mm -hmm. right? Um, or, so when you talk about reparations, mm -hmm. I'm trying to break this down into, um, because we're not yeah. a monolith. Yeah. And dealing with people on an individual basis mm -hmm. versus saying everybody gets something. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things that I, I uh, want to point out is that when we talk about systematic racism, yeah. there's de jure, meaning that there's purposeful, intentional, violent policy that the government has enacted spe specifying on black people. Because they were because the people putting it in place well, had something against blacks. Is that what you're talking about? Or was so it that's accidental? De, so that would be de facto. So de facto okay. is that there, there's a racist person who's perpetuating racism. Yeah. And that's kind of oftentimes where the discussion lies. But there's also purposeful, intentional policy that still is happening today, such as, let's say, redlining. Um, that product, though, for the most part in most cities, except there are it's illegal. Today, it's illegal. Yeah. But there are cities that are still instituting it. Well, so, they and and they do it um, because people can get away with it, mm -hmm. not because it's legal. No, okay. and that's and that's when I say there's policies 
Yeah. And so when I talked about that, there's a change such as the Fair Housing Act. Yeah. It doesn't remedy the illegal. So though they made it illegal, no one's actually enforcing on it. No well, one's not no one. Okay. Not no Generally one. Generally <laughs> speaking, people aren't enforcing it and we're aware that it's happening. We can, and I'm happy to go further in. Yeah. But um, are you, are you basing that on, um, uh, I'm not saying you're wrong because yeah. I haven't taken the time to actually look into whether that's, I'm actually in real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I know all the laws in that regard. Yeah. And I definitely don't participate in redlining at mm-hmm. all. Um, but so I'm just curious, yeah. is that something that you are aware of because you've actually looked into it? Yeah. So just, we can take in San Diego real yeah. estate. Yeah. Um, and this is when I talk about historical, uh, or excuse me, systematic racism yeah. and how the history plays a part okay. and how it ties currently. So if we look at San Diego, 1940s or so, they built freeway five that went right through Barrio Logan. Barrio Logan has a freeway that's a historical community often historically it was in the 70s black historically was a black and brown community it cut that community in half and destroyed thousands of homes now we have logan heights and we have barrio logan that was made through government policy purposeful so i know up in la and other parts of the country i'm not i can't confirm now that's not redlining though no 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 no, it's not so i'm I'm just asking about redlining specifically mm -hmm. because you said that that's still happening and Mm -hmm. people aren't enforcing the laws Mm -hmm. is that do you have specific evidence that that those laws are not being enforced? Because mm-hmm. as far as I yeah. know, they're being enforced. Yeah, but you you do. Yeah, so I, cities like Minneapolis, cities like Chicago, yeah, are still have are still dealing with redlining policies that aren't being really? enforced. Yes, is that is that because uh, you're seeing this in the news? I'm just wondering where you're getting that information. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I, no, yeah, I, so I, the, I don't know. I don't I, I don't have the data yeah. points to point to it, but I'm getting I, the, I'm getting the information. It's let me look. So one, I know that one third of Chicago uh, is black. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me that would be one of the hardest places for somebody who wanted to, you know, act out racist, uh, you know, actions yeah. for, for them to be able to do that. seems like it would be pretty hard, but maybe so that's I'm wrong. not how some systemic racism. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> that would be like de facto uh, racism, whereas like I'm a white supremacist. I don't want you that to work. Um, just to go back to your other point, is the color of law by Richard Rothstein that discusses the whole history of this policy, yeah, um, and it, including when it comes to housing policy, but specifically because we're talking about redlining right now, yeah, and how those products are still being instituted today, yeah, and, and so redlining. that's where that's where that information comes from. And he's, I highly, highly recommend his book. Okay. he's done a lot, a lot of research and data on it. Say it one more time. It Say is, it is called. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Okay. And he, that's where that information comes from. And so just because I don't want to lose on the reparations part because yeah. I have I have the housing urban <laughs> policy all written down. and I'm happy to go through that. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, how I looked at it, how that works is that um, during the time of the antebellum South, the free slave at the end of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Frederick Douglass approached Abraham Lincoln and talked about that we need, we need to have self-determination. Uh, we need to have opportunity. And one of the greatest ways to have that is through land ownership. Yeah. That land ownership was the 40 acres in the mill terminology yeah. that we always heard. Yeah. And it wasn't until Andrew Johnson, I believe, changed that around and took that away. And took it away and mm-hmm. gave it, he, a Democrat gave it back mm-hmm. to, took the land back away from the blacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly. awful. Yes. Okay. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's, that's where that comes from. And during the same period of time, we had the westward expansion. So though we were taking over land from the indigenous people, 
we purposely instituted laws that have a framework where black people and particularly individuals who are farmers, because that's that was the profession that um, African Americans who are freed as slavery knew, uh, weren't allowed to have access to that westward expansion. So within the same time frame of well, we can't do forty acres in a mule for the blacks. Mm. They allowed the rest of America, white America, to move out west and get land for free as long as they meet the stipulations of settling and farming. So exact same time period. Yeah. And so when you. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over. No, no, okay. that's okay. Go ahead. So when you take that in account, it amounts to like about six four inflation. That property amounts to six point four trillion dollars. And so I'm I'm a pragmatist. I'm a realist. How are we gonna like pay six point four trillion dollars? And yeah. so I've seen, and this is where the economics comes in. Um, I've seen in places like New Zealand who made who kind of have trying to make amends. They're still working on it with the Maori population, the indigenous mm. population that lives there. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that they do is the words of acknowledging both symbolism, but also the words. And so, for example, before a rugby event, they'll say we're on the hollow grounds of whatever tribe of the Maori people. They'll recognize the injustices that have happened. And I think words and symbols have meaning. Yeah. But that's not the end all. Sure. It but kind of stops there and we need actionable policy and stuff. Sure, steps. sure. And so what they've done is that they use offshore accounts and they took money off credits so it's not actual the dollar amount and put it in offshore accounts. They kept it there. And what they gave back to the Maori population and what I'm proposing that we should do here is it was off interest, off those off- offshore accounts. So if you do 7 to 9% interest off uh, the $6.4 trillion, which I get, it's a big number. Yeah. I understand the r- reality, but just for the sake of this discussion, that's going to be around almost half a billion dollars getting poured in. That money will get poured into black communities. Will other people be affected when money gets poured into black communities? Absolutely. The reason why we talk about systematic racism and, and the black injustice is because though there were other injustices, black and brown communities, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, they have all suffered injustice under the hands of America. Sure. And that we all benefit from, including myself, right? The reason why I talk about it is that there's policies and law books, such as the redlining, that specifically spelled out black people were not allowed access hmm. black people were not allowed to have voting rights yeah so they specifically spelled out and that's why it was removed so when i talk about going into black communities will there be a tertiary effect of everyone who's living under a systematic injustice under the hammer of america be able to prosper from it i'm sure absolutely and so that's when it comes to like health care uh infrastructure transportation justice Yes, it will go into the black communities, but those are the things that are needed because it's not that we seek handouts of social welfare state. We seek the opportunity. That's why for there, like we talked about before, yeah. self-determination and the access to pursuit of happiness. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's it. And so that's what I, when I talk about reparations, that's my concept and my idea. And so I don't want a big cash sent to like how to, you know, tracing back to every black family. Yeah. I want it to go into black communities and I want it to uh, systematically affect them generationally mm. so i want that i don't want a large sum right now to put in my pocket i want to be able to help my children's children be able to have access to a higher education mm. to be able to have that same net worth that i spoke about before about the household income yeah of 170 dollars versus seventeen thousand dollars hundred seventy thousand dollars versus the seventeen thousand dollars of net household wealth yeah is due in part from land ownership and that's one of the greatest as a realtor, I'm sure you're well more antiquated and know that's one of the greatest ways to pass down generational wealth. 
Absolutely, it is. Um, so, hey, Eric, we're yeah. just coming up on a break here. We're a little bit overall, <laughs> and and uh, so excited. my guest is no, it's awesome. My guest is Eric Young, and um, he works here in government in uh, San Diego. He works with the homeless population. He's doing a lot more than that too. But um, stay with us. We're going to continue this discussion and his other pillars. My name is Kevin Conover, and you're listening to Educate for Life Radio. My website's educateforlife.org. All kinds of resources on there you can check out. We're going to be right back. Welcome back. This is Kevin Conover. You're listening to Educate for Life Radio. My website's educateforlife.org. You can check it out. I have a full online curriculum that teaches you, helps you to answer all the different questions people have about God and the Bible. So, for example, how do I know God exists? Um, What evidence is there from science that God exists? Is the Bible actually real history? Um, What about all the other religions in the world? Um, You know, so all these questions that pop up, that's what I'm dealing with. And a lot of times people don't make the the connection between the issue of racism and what's happening in our culture today and apologetics in the Bible. And, and they don't necessarily connect the dots there. But I'll tell you, it's really important that as a Christian that we are able to communicate effectively about this particular issue because it's all over the place. And God has an opinion about everything, right? God uh, has thoughts about everything. And ultimately, his thoughts are that he loves people and he wants to see them thrive, be blessed, and ultimately uh, find salvation through Jesus Christ. And so we have to represent Christ well. We have to be a light, and we have to have the compassion in the heart of, of Christ. And a lot of times that takes talking to people and understanding different people's perspectives, right? And uh, if you don't think the Bible talks about race, it absolutely does. The, the story of the Good Samaritan is a full story all about the racism that was going on between the Jews and the Samaritans at the time. Uh, and they, abs- they they had did not have a good relationship, but Christ um, wanted to reconcile that. And uh, that parable it tells us a lot about his thoughts in that area. My guest today, Eric Young, it, we've been talking about um, the five pillars that he thinks need to be uh, addressed in order to move things in the right direction uh, around these issues. So let's pick up where we left off, Eric. Yeah. Um, I just looked up a report real quick because I wanted to see this because we're talking about redlining, we're talking about home ownership, we're talking mm-hmm. about building wealth. And it says right here, the Urban Institute said that in 2017, the white home ownership rate was 72% compared with 42% for blacks. The gap was similar in 2019 and during the first quarter of 2020. Mm-hmm. The black home ownership rate in 2017 was at its lowest level in 50 years and also the lowest of all racial and ethnic groups, according to the Urban Institute. Now, um, one of the things I wanted to pick up along these same lines, because we're talking about um, inequity of opportunity, we're talking about that there was not this opportunity to build wealth over time. So some people might bring up the issue that um, currently in America, the highest, uh, the people with the highest income actually aren't whites, it's actually Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. And I believe sure. Japanese are the highest, yeah. making the most money. Mm-hmm. And so in that particular case, where you have a group of people that, came from, you know, there's historical oppression, not to the same degree as with the black community. Um, would you also argue for reparations for mm-hmm. the Asian community, even though they're currently making the highest levels of income in America? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we need to separate two things. There's sure um, Asian and immigrants who have been historically marginalized as well. And then there's more recent immigrants, immigration. 
that's one separation. Two, the second separation is that I don't like pitting injustice against another injustice. Okay. Absolutely. So to answer your question directly, absolutely. If we benefited off the backs of another individual or another group, specifically spelled out because of who they are, absolutely. I, I, indigenous populations, uh, for example, because we're talking about the state of California and the Chinese immigrants who, have, who both died, bled, and sweat uh, under the building of infrastructure in yeah. our state. Absolutely. I definitely think that, they, that there needs to be a remedy and a realization of what, the, what America as a whole, including myself, a proud American, of what we've done and how we can invest. And so one of the things I always just say, generally speaking, is the best way to be an ally or supportive of any marginalized group is that we should center the most marginalized individual when it comes to policy. So John Rawls, an American philosopher, a political theorist, talks about the theory of justice. There is no just law because there will be tertiary effects that might negatively impact a certain group, a certain economic level, whatever it may be. If we centralize the most, center the most marginalized individual or group, and when we make those laws we, and we try to uplift them, yes, there won't be 100% equality, but it's a, this goes into the level of equity. We want to bring another individual who's the most marginalized to be able to have that access. So the answer to your question about reparations of another individual or another group that has <laughs> suffered injustice, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so. But it's not my place to speak on how they can get yeah. that. I definitely will welcome someone who's more educated on that, but I absolutely think, yeah. No, I like, I like um, this is interesting to me. So another question I have is, um, as far as I understand it, that the things I've looked into, um, Nigerian Americans, uh, blacks from Nigeria, mm-hmm. actually have a higher average income than whites do. Mm-hmm. And so- they're, they didn't suffer under uh, antebellum slavery in the South, and a lot of them are relatively new immigrants to the country. Would you would they be exclu- excluded from the reparations, or would they also get so it? So it's if you live in black communities. And so anyone who's dealing, who lives in those type of communities um, will benefit. Quite honestly, all of Americans will benefit. So, so we talk about... I don't know. We can just stay at housing, but we, there's so many different things. Transportation justice and access to opportunity for uh, to, to be able to travel. If we build out uh, more systems where there's more public transportation, um, I, I don't want to jump around too much, but we mentioned housing, so I'm trying to connect the two. Sure. Transportation justice yeah. in Chicago. The, what happened with Chicago was during the um, end of the World War II, the GI Bill allowed housing for veterans. They did not allow housing for veterans. So black people were allowed to build housing in Chicago and other major cities throughout the country. But the housing was segregated. The public housing that African-American families had was subpar and it was falling apart. And then the other public housing for veterans who were white were able to have access to amenities such as more opportunities for uh, fresh food, job and work opportunities. And so what happens is that when the suburbs started getting built out, is that one the, when there was the, the white flight and they started separating the two, that's where all the jobs went as well. So now there's transportation justice. So a person who lives in a property that's falling apart that was never meant to sustain itself now has to go to the city center to, or to more to a white suburbia where there are other access to job opportunities such as building and other type of blue-collar work because they had restrictions of access of education as well. Yeah, That's what happens. And so I'm trying to bridge the two that there's – the transportation justice as well. So when we're building out, for example, infrastructure in most of our urban cities that have a that are dilapidated, falling apart, that have a failing grade compared to the rest of uh, westernized westernized nations, um, 
absolutely. Everyone stands to benefit. But the people who are hurt the most, again, we want to center the most marginalized community. Okay, so just for clarification here, because so are you saying that the investment, the reparations as a practical aspect regarding money, are you saying that that money is going to go directly into that community, but it's not necessarily going to go to the individuals in the community? Is that what you're saying? I want it to go to, oh, it's both. Okay. So I want it to go to black-owned businesses, black-owned restaurants. So what does that look like? Is it a tax, mm-hmm. is it a tax mm-hmm. break? Is it mm-hmm. actual, uh, like a check that comes mm-hmm. once a year? Mm-hmm. Or what is it? Do you have that in your mind? Like what you're, t- what you're I think it about? should be, I think it should be a, I, not necessarily a government entity, but I think it should be an entity that helps regulate um, to make sure that it's well dispersed into well beyond these five pillars and focusing as as an idea of like, okay, we're looking at education. We need to have better paid teachers. We need to have access for ESL or whatever it may be and funding those things, and that's where the money gets put in. But it also means reinvesting in our own community. As a realtor, you know that when they're when people are investing and spending dollars that they earn back into their community, that's when investment goes up. That's when people want to invest in those communities, and that's what allows those communities to flourish. Yeah. The reason why there has been okay, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, I, you weren't interrupting. Uh, the me. reason why there has been like, for example, if we look at San Diego, there yeah. has been an intentional underfunding of underserved communities. Um, now in twenty twenty, no, we're not doing that. Uh, the we distribute a lot of the money for the most part equally. But because there was an intention of underfunding underserved communities, such as in District 4, District 8, District 9, City Heights, Southeastern San Diego, Barrio Logan, Shelltown, those communities, that's why they often have, you know, parks that are different or streets that are worse. And that's why we, that's what the point of equity. So some of the things that we do in the government, for example, is trying to provide equity and seeing that because they're historically underserved. So in a way, from a government entity, we're already doing a form of reparations by establishing equity from communities that have been purposely and intentionally underserved. Yeah. But all I'm saying is that that same process from a non-government entity of those reparations should be placed in the same in the same manner, but that's where that funding should go to. But it should be generational. So I don't want a one lump sum of whatever it may be. You said, you know, you name the cost. Yeah. I want it to be generational and so that that black investment, those black owned businesses or have the opportunities to flourish. Yeah. There's, I mean, we, now, now yeah. I have a question about this because um, I, I want to, we're, we're coming up on another break yeah. here, but I want to, um, I want to integrate the, what I've been talking about with the, the uh, 73% of black kids right now being born out of wedlock. I want to talk about what, how you see that problem being solved alongside um, what you're talking about here. So mm-hmm. when we come back, my guest is Eric Young. And he's uh, thought a lot about these issues. He's got a lot of uh, great ideas and opinions. And um, also, I want to point out his sister also and him have started. Um, it's called, uh, tell us the name of it again. It's called The Young Black Sheep. The Young Black Sheep on Facebook. It's on Facebook. It's a pun within a pun. Uh, with a pun, my last name is Eric Young. Um, <laughs> her last name is Young. And, she, and the point is, is it discusses the race, politics, and within the church. We were both born again. Uh, Christians, um, we love the Lord, but we also see that there is a level of microaggressions, racism within the church, and it's something that we want to talk about um, uh, and be upfront with our brothers and sisters in Christ. My sister is a, a Title I educator in Washington, D.C., and she's pursuing her doctor's degree. So we awesome. have a great time. That's great. Okay, we're going to be right back. We've got a few more segments here left to continue talking about these issues. Stay with us. No more stars. 
everybody. Thanks for being here. This is Kevin Conover. We're on Educate for Life Radio. My website's educateforlife.org. We're broadcasting in Southern California on Cape Rays. You can see the big blue banner here in the background, 12, 10 a.m. here in Southern California. And um, you can check out uh, previous interviews on my website. We do different interviews every single week. And um, got interviews with scientists uh, from all over the world talking about things like geology, paleontology, talking about... Um, or I, I had an organic synthetic chemist on who was uh, incredible, talking about creation and um, actually showing that evolution is wrong and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. We also have an archaeologist that show the evidence that verifies the Bible is true. And I have a lot of people on discussing social issues. So whether that be issues pertaining to gender identity or, or issues pertaining to race or whatever it might be, all in the hope that we can help you think more clearly about issues that pertain to the Word of God. We want to be Christians that are loving God with all our heart and are loving God with all our mind. And so uh, my goal is to help you get smarter about these issues. So I hope you've enjoyed the show uh, so far today. My guest is Eric Young, and we're talking particularly about um, what we can do with the race issues that we're dealing with today, with um, all that's been happening uh, regarding race and, and police brutality and these sorts of issues. And and uh, Eric, uh, we've been talking about a lot of stuff. I think we're going to have a lot, a, a very long <laughs> conversation. But, but let's pick up. Um, yeah. You wanted to touch back on the the issue of the Nigerian yes. um, income. Uh -huh. Nigerian uh, blacks tend to have a higher income actually than the average white uh, in America. And so, uh, yeah, pick up there. So, where I want to pick up is both Nigerian, which is 100 percent true, but black immigrants in general. Yeah. Um, is something I wanted to definitely touch on. And so the question is, why is it? And the answer is, it's very, it, everything is like very nuanced, but generally speaking, most Im people who are, have access to immigrate, particularly from African countries, for example, uh, West Indian countries, the Caribbean, um, they have to qualify, qualify with having advanced degrees oftentimes. So our, our, many of them are older. So they come. So I have some data from the Pew research is that 50 percent of them of black immigrants are married. Uh, one third of them have college degrees and compare that to the U.S. population of black Americans. That's 19 percent. The adult median age for African immigrants uh, is 42 years old based off the Pew research. The median age of U.S. blacks um, when it comes to access of wealth and those type of things is 29. So when you're talking about individuals that there's more younger black men versus black or excuse me african immigrants or i would just say black immigrants um, from around the world to make those to get into the hurdles and to get the access into the united states they already have already jumped many more hurdles than anyone so else. basically so the immigrants that are coming in are people that are prepared to be able to make more money already exactly Okay. And and that's no knock to them and that's no knock to other individuals who get stuck in those communities. Yeah. But I think there has to be an honest look of not making excuses, but let's actually look at the tr the the facts. Yeah. And look at the data that this is the truth and this is why oftentimes and rightly so they fare, fare better. They had access to upper mobility. We talked about uh single family uh, single motherhood. They have they 50% of them are in relationships and a family base. A lot of them are older, so much of their children, if they have them, yeah. they're older as well. And they're out of that cycle of the youth um, who are perpetuated in the poverty and the crime yeah. that we kind of created. 
So um, we did great. <laughs> so I want to I want to um, ask, and this was a question I left off in the, the last segment. So how does how does um, what's happened? And here's my opinion in, in this regard, and you can give me your opinion back and and uh, you know kind of push back if you think I, I'm missing something. But in the early 1960s, um, or prior to 1960, the the uh, out of out-of-wedlock chi- uh, childbirth was almost non-existent. There were almost no kids born out of wedlock of any race. Um, but culturally, things began to change with the sexual revolution. There's a, I've had guests on actually talking about that whole thing that happened. And people started, you know, the whole free love movement. And, and so what ha- started happening was you did start to have more kids start to be being born out of wedlock. And in the early 1960s, um, blacks were at 25%. And I'm sorry, not, yeah, blacks were at 25%. And by, by today, it's at 73%. And the social science shows that any child born out of wedlock um, is going to have much more difficulty. Uh, and, and, you know, people will say things like white privilege and stuff. Um, if I think there's anything that privileges a kid, it's to have a mother and father in the home to be raised by their mother and father. The, if you look at the, the science behind it, it's incredible the benefit it does to a child to have both their mother and father in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question becomes, how does that relate to you know, um, the issue of, let's say you invest all this money into a particular community. Mm-hmm. Um, are you saying that if you put that money into the community that that is going to diminish the out of wedlock birth, mm-hmm. or are you saying that that um, I guess it's which uh, are you putting the cart before the horse? I guess is what I'm saying because my opinion tends to be that the government policy at the time was incentivizing single motherhood, mm-hmm. and so because of that, if you don't get rid of bad policy first and you put in money, right, mm-hmm. you still have the problem of out of wedlock childbirth, which facilitates. Um, not necessarily a good use of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked up this interesting stat a long time ago that most people who win the lottery are bankrupt within two years. Yeah. And so just obviously just throwing money at a solution isn't going to solve it. 100%. At, you, so you agree with that. So yeah. Lincoln High School here in, in California is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, millions, I think it was $129 million was invested into Lincoln High School. Mm-hmm. And today they've they're on their, I think, fourth or fifth superintendent and half the school's empty, and a lot of people don't are, aren't interested in sending their kids there. So we know that just uh, putting money into the situation isn't going to solve it. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on how you deal with both? And by the way, I want it to be very clear. I don't fault blacks for that, mm-hmm. for that situation. I don't think it's a cultural thing at all. Yeah. I think what it is, it was generated by bad policy. And I think any government policy incentivizes particular behavior. Mm-hmm. And, it, and a lot of times people it's unforeseen consequences and they don't anticipate oh i didn't know Mm -hmm. that policy was going to end up doing this and so you have a bad byproduct that you didn't expect and so i don't fault blacks for that at all i Mm -hmm. fault i fault bad government policy and so i'm just curious along those five pillars that you're dealing with how did how does that fit into the equation that the the situation there Mm -hmm. so i i want to be clear that the reparations that i'm talking about is it's not so i'm not just saying throwing that's also why I'm also interested, so it's generational. Okay. But that's just something I just wanted to pull out. Um, but I do have a question. Okay. I don't have the data. Sure. Um, what was, how does that rate of the government policies that you're talking about 
um, the social welfare programs, yeah. single black motherhood. Yeah. How does that relate to other? It's the same problem. So we're seeing an increase in single motherhood in all races. Mm -hmm. So it's not just blacks. It just happens to be that blacks currently are at the highest rate. And my guess for why that is, and I don't have hard data on this. It's, it's something I, I think I, I need to look into and it's worth looking into. Mm. I don't know why it, it shot up to 73% because right now it's 52% among his, Hispanics and it's uh, around um, 25% for whites. Mm -hmm. So uh, do I think that it was facilitated by racism? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. I think the government policy probably was facilitated by racist ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I'm not saying, I guess what I'm saying is um, I'm not trying to give an excuse mm -hmm. for that and say, so uh, sure, there are probably racist issues there, mm -hmm. but I'm saying how does it factor into finding a solution today? Mm -hmm. So um, how do you, because it, I feel like it's such a... I think it's important to... Yeah. I mean, everything that I've talked about, and I think it's very important, my political major, I, yeah. I love history, yeah. is that history is extremely important in its identity, but also is why we're here and how we got to the point we are. Yeah. And it's not the end all. There needs to be actionable steps. 100%. Yeah. I agree. And I don't think... And I actually... Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted no, you. Go ahead. I actually was going to agree with your statement that I do think okay. that having a two-parent household, um, it definitely increases upper mobility, yeah. access to more education and wealth and privilege. Um, so, But I have I just wanted to keep pushing on the why is that, so for example, the, the numbers that you stated, I don't remember the percentage. It was like whites, I think Hispanics were 50%. Yep. And it was like 70-something percent for black single motherhood. Um, uh, yeah, out of wedlock. Out of, excuse me, yeah. out of wedlock motherhood. Yeah. Why, I guess the further explanation, I know you said that you don't know maybe the actual policy, but I would want to know more on why. And I have a, I have a guess, and I think it's rooted in like a historical historical facts. Yeah, is that I agree that a lot of the policy was purposeful and intentional and yeah. violent and racist. But if you look at each individual as a group, all people want to have access to education, upward mobility, a two parent household. You know, well, not here's the thing though, not all people do because. Once you disintegrate into, um, you know, there's several books written that um, that men, unmarried men, are one of the uh, most difficult social problem to deal with. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have a, a culture that no longer emphasizes marriage mm -hmm. and getting married and staying married, you generate problems. But I think the question still then for like the unmarried men yeah. is why did that happen? That, that's kind of where I'm getting to. So here, here's where I'm at on that issue. Yeah. I actually think we're going to agree on why it happened. Mm -hmm. But what I'm having difficulty with is what is the solution? So, so I think you and I are both going to agree that it is racism, it's historical slavery, it's segregation, it's all those things that generated the, where we're at today. But my question becomes, because I don't, my, my question becomes, what is the solution today? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's in incredibly PC today. Mm -hmm. Not only is it moral, but it's also politically correct to not be racist, mm -hmm. right? Meaning racists generally in our culture today are shouted down mm -hmm. and told, get lost. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I agree with that. Really? I, <laughs> no. I, I, it, when I look around, um. I, I feel like anybody who is a blatant racist, they're they need to hide it or they're or they're shouted down. 
but but maybe I'm I'm I running dis- in the I adamantly disagree. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yes. So <laughs> excuse me. So I don't know. Maybe I'm in my own <laughs> bubble that <laughs> I need to get out and into. I I think um, I haven't gotten to the education aspect. Yeah. But I think one of the greatest things, and I do what I want to answer all of these things. So yeah. One of the a good point to acknowledge is that I think oftentimes when we look at racism, we kind of just think like a KKK member under hood or yeah. a white supremacist Nazi or something along those lines. Yeah. And there are tons of racist actions um, that I've heard throughout my whole entire life. Yeah. Directly to my face. Okay. They'll be like, oh, you talk like a white guy that you can call it a microaggression, but I'm like, well, because I'm well-spoken, I'm not speaking eubonics and I'm not knocking eubonics. I think that's a beautiful language sure. that's derived from the black community um, from access of lack of access of education. But those type of things, every single day I walk around, there's always some type of microaggression, some type of racism that you encounter. Yeah. And, and like I said, I don't talk about it all the time. I mean, obviously we're talking about it right now. Sure. And I don't think a lot of black people in general or pe- marginalized groups in general talk about it because for my, my personal opinion is I don't believe in victimhood. Life isn't fair. This is the reality that you live in and you, we should try to change and create a better reality. Yeah. But whining and complaining about an injustice they experience every single day won't change the outcome. You need to work hard, maybe even work harder, but you you do need to over, overcome those hurdles. Yeah. And so this isn't like a victimhood of like, oh no, I've, you know, I've experienced all these things, but it's definitely, I mean, I've had race, I've had front ra- of racism yeah. is a, Definitely I, present. I don't want, I've had racist things against me, and my brother has had racist things against him. Um, and I, I tell the story every once in a while, but I went to buy a house in Alabama, and somebody, when I wasn't there, posted on the door, we don't want any white people. And, uh, you know, my brother was actually on an all-black wrestling team, and they told him, we don't want any white guys on the wrestling team. That was back on the East Coast. I, I'm from New Jersey. And um, so, yeah, sure, those things are there. That's true. You're right. So, um, but, but uh, go ahead. Like I said before, I wouldn't discount an injustice against another injustice. That's wrong. Yeah. First of all, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to defend this. At any um, that's wrong that you experienced that. And I'm sorry that you did have to experience that. Uh, it's yeah. wrong in any way. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think it should be noted that that when when positions of power and the social norm, we account for, I don't know, like 11% yeah. to, of the population. Sure. And when the power structures of white supremacy exist, of of kind of discounting the black race, discounting the black man and woman, and this kind of relates to the single single motherhood. Um, it's it's, I, it's it's a lot different. It's um, when I it comes to the justice system, and when we talk about racism today, it's like for example, if we both committed the same crime, statistically, exact same crime, you would you would be off at a with a much shorter and lesser prison sentence, and I would have a much harsher one. Yeah. Just based off the judge. And that's just one, you know, factor. So that destroys my life. And then that also destroys my gener- the generations because I lose access to voting. I lose access of um, getting be more a good job. It's difficult to get a job. Yeah, absolutely. But that, now that, who does that now affect? My generation. Yeah. My son, my son and my children, the access of education, yeah. health care, and all these types of things go downhill right off the bat. And I can go into a personal story about dealing with the justice system. But I did want to answer... Your point, and just to answer directly, um, I think it's important to ask why there is disproportionate that the black community has suffered more and has a much higher broken family. And when I said that all people want to have access to upward mobility, black people, white people, Hispanics, you know, different ethnic groups and races, 
it's just the color of the pigmentation of our skin. We all want to have the American dream. Yeah, absolutely. We all want to have the pursuit yeah. of happiness. And so when you remove all that and then you still look at the black com- community, even though we all have the same innate desires of success, they have been disproportionately affected. We then have to look back at why, where is the black father? You, and then, you know, you, so you look at the Vietnam War, for example. I'm, I'm just using like minute examples. I can, sure. you can expand sure. much further. Yeah. There's like 5% black males in the United States, 11% total. I think the black women outnumber the men. But during the Vietnam War, they accounted for roughly about 18% of those drafted. Um, you look at incarceration rates of the crime bills um, when it talks about justice system, where they have crack cocaine and coke, the powder, more powder form often used by whites, upper class neighborhoods, and crack cocaine used by black, um, lower class neighborhoods. When they did the war on drugs, even though it's been statistically shown that they have experienced the same level of drug use and sales, they enforced the black community. They had mandatory sentencing, not for a coke, but for a crack cocaine. And they approached the drug issue not as a holistic health issue of addiction. They approached it as an enforcement issue where they declared a war on drugs and perpetually locked up and disproportionately around the same time frame yeah. between the 19, I want to say it was like 1970, so about a 10-year gap from your, your the 1960s that you're talking about, where it is massive, massive incarceration and disproportionately locking up black men. And so when we talk about slavery, we also have to be honest about the 13th Amendment that talks about that you you are free unless you're in servitude um, through penitenti- the penitentiary. And so they have used, I, I don't want to say the wrong number, large sums of money, billion, in the billions amount of money, of free labor through the prison system that are for profit. So where did the black fathers go? We kind of, we made a cycle of, Black fatherhood is gone. We made a cycle of lack of upward mobility, lack of access of good education, which we haven't gotten to, but I'm happy to go there. But just for the sake of this discussion, yeah. we kind of set the perfect storm, and then we wonder, well, where's the black fathers? And then we wonder, why is there so much crime rate? What about all these the drug use in the um, black neighborhoods? And I'm like, well, you took away the, the black father, and this goes all the way back to the slave days, yeah. where they purposely took away black fathers and split up homes to intentionally because they knew how powerful a black family was. And, it, and that's on record being shown. And so they purposely did those things. And you see that today where they, they purposely made crimes that disproportionately affects the black community. And it was very intentional. And that's for Democrats and Republicans alike. Yeah. And that's why I'm not a huge fan of the, you know, the two-party system. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I'm going after everyone. Like the, they, have, they both did institutions of violence against black communities. And it was purposeful. I think that's the part that I want to note that I think oftentimes we just think it's like there's that racist guy who decided to do something. No, there's a purposeful policy that hurt people and it took years to change. It wasn't until the 90s that they tried to correct a lot of those years. There's people who are incarcerated for low level drug offenses who are sitting in prison right now while marijuana, for example, is legal. Um, We the state of California passed uh, AB 109 that with all good intentions to decriminalize a lot of uh, Nonviolent crimes. It allowed uh, there was another bill that allowed low-level drug use um, to be let free, and this is when I point to connecting to equity. That we also want justice. Is that if you let an individual who now lost their right to vote, so they can't change their, you know, they can't change their civics and po- political sphere, they have a record, so they can't get a good job. Um, they didn't ha- get re- rehabilitated. They were just locked away up like animals and doing slave labor. There was no mental health programs for people who are possibly addicted to drugs. There was no drug rehabilitation programs. And so even in California with the best intentions, 
kind of miss the tertiary trickle-down effects is like, no, I don't just want that. We need to right the injustice that's happened. Yeah. And so now we have a large, for example, homeless population that is disproportionately affects black men. They're the, one of the largest ones in the state of California who are homeless. But I mean, we look, why is that? And so we kind of like, to me, we, we view these perceptions as data points. And we look like, well, there's this high level of crime and there's black single motherhood. But we kind of ignore all the past historical policies yeah. and injustice and just racist people yeah. that created that. And then we kind of only, we ignore and we like look through rose colored lens and then we're like, why is that? I'm like, I'm just melanated. I, I'm, I'm just a black brother who has darker skin color than you, but I want the same thing. Yeah, I want to no, be able I, to take care of my children. <laughs> you and, know? I, and I 100% I totally agree with that. And I, and I appreciate that. Um, so um, what I want to talk to you, we're going to, we, we got to take a break here, but what I want to talk to you um, when we come back is, so the way forward in that regard, um, how do we, so reparations in a sense, right? Um, how do we heal um, what's happened? How do we, how do we move forward? And I know that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So acknowledge really quickly because i know we have to go and break yeah. acknowledgement and education so the first part of reparations that i spoke about was acknowledging the injustice and the justice has happened i think our education system has when i talked about white supremacy has habitually felled all of us when we think about like who discovered america you could say the vikings or columbus we completely the history completely ignores the indigenous population that has been living prosperously and some of the most uh the advanced civilizations of its time existed in the americas and that's kind of like this weird history that denies the wrongdoings. And that's why I led with James Baldwin's quote. I'm an American, but I also have the right to ridicule it and point at this injustice because I love this country. Sure. And so I want that to be changed. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about um, the way forward uh, based on Eric's, what he's identified and what he thinks um, needs to happen in order for the healing to take place. Uh, in the black community and these issues to be uh, dealt with in a way that is uh, right. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Kevin Conover here. I'm your host down here in Southern California. My ministry is called Educate for Life, and this is Educate for Life Radio. My website's educateforlife.org, and I'm having a fantastic uh, uh, discussion here with Eric Young. And Eric's um, Facebook page, along with his sister, uh, that they just recently started is called Young. Sorry, the Young Black Sheep. The Young Black <laughs> Sheep, and right, and that's a play on words. His last name's Young, and uh, then the whole Black Sheep uh, point there. But Eric, um, what I wanted to talk about with you was specifically um, the way forward here, as far as you know. Here's what's going through people's minds, and this is what people get nervous about: is okay, once you start pe- paying reparations, I mean, we. Uh, so first of all, people say, I never owned a slave myself. Why are my tax dollars going to somebody who was never a slave? But yet, I, un- I completely understand your point that, hey, um, this is generationally something that has impacted people all the way up through the present day. And so if we're going to look at equality and fairness under the law, um, then there should be some sort of a, uh, not just, uh, well, acknowledgement, but also some way to pour into the black community to kind of make up for all the racial inequality that happened in the past. I totally hear that argument. And the promises as well. And the promises, we, right? Yeah. So so um, I guess what goes through my mind is, okay, where does that stop, right? Because I feel like, well, how do you make up for historically 
uh, 400 years of slavery. Uh, I mean, how do you do that? Um, and then what does that do to the rest of the country? Because we do have a limit, even though our government doesn't seem to think we have a limited budget. <laughs> we're, we're well over 20 trillion now. Yep. And I don't know what happens once you, go, <laughs> once you go too far. But the question becomes, well, if we're going to start paying reparations to a particular community and we've got to make up for you know, something uh, my ancestors didn't do, um, but how do, how do we, you know, where do you draw the lines about um, where this limits and it stops? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I draw the line, I think, not only speaking about um, reparations as a slave, because I, I think I did talk about a lot of the marginalization. Yeah. But I also want to both find it, talk about the solution, um, but also the fact that the first, like the birth of the nation was predicated off a black man. Crispus Attucks uh, died on um, the Boston Massacre. Um, the Leather Revolt and John Adams, the former president and founding father, what, uh, was the lawyer that defended the British soldiers and called him a bunch of Negro and Teagues, Irish Teagues. And that history evolves where the first, one of the first women uh, suffragists, um, suffragettes, excuse me, was Sojourner Truth of 19... Uh, 97 or something around there. Mm -hmm. um, Marsha P. Johnson, the LGBTQ plus at the riots of uh, Stonewall riots was one of the individuals who led those past injustice. The black community has fought under every banner, under every American flag, and fought in every single war without the access of liberty, without the access of equal opportunity, without the access of justice. So when we talk about reparations and the blood, I'm not just talking about the slavery and that type of injustice. I'm talking about also that they have given their life for this nation literally the first one to give their life for this nation and what is the um, and it's something that is both promised but also deserved so when we talk about what is the solution how does that actually work um one of the ones that i think is important and where does it is that it's the calculations of what was promised the 40 acres and a mule it can be built off of and this is where i'm not a economist i admit and so my idea is that it can be built off credits because i know banks have credits against each other and they loan money that they may not necessarily have in the bank. And so that access, that using the United States economy, and it doesn't necessarily, I think it should be the $6.4 to be frank, but I'm also a realist. This is where the economists of there should be a set standard of a, a large sum of money that should pour into the black community. Um, I can't name the exact figure. Whatever that standard is, paying off the interest of what would have been owed through the offshore accounts is the goal. So I'm not expecting... Uh, a relatively higher level of taxes because through the level of investment that we have, infrastructure I talked about, transportation, justice, housing, that affects, and that's money that's still being spent. So I think it's, it's important to recognize that ignoring systemic issues still costs the taxpayer money. We just, we just pay for it on the back end. Ignoring you mean through, through the need for social welfare programs exactly. or whatever it might yeah. be. So, so like the prison population. And not offering rehabilitation. Yeah. So forty thousand dollars per year to house a single prisoner. Exactly. Uh, and California is is crazy. The amount of prisoners we got that we're paying for it's insane. We're on the same page. Yeah. So these low drug offenses that is some of the drugs like marijuana is legalized and people are making a profit off of and people have life or many many years of mandatory sentencing that they had to fulfill. Majority are black men should be released and all that money that we're spending anyways. Why can't we redirect that into rehabilitative programs? And that investment is investing in America. 
black inventors, black restaurant owners, black business owners and entrepreneurs. Those these things is all stand to benefit for the, all of America because we're still one country under one flag. I'm just pointing out that we should re- recognize the inequalities that exist that we already pay for. Mm. I mean, it's happening. We look at, for example, housing, housing solutions and the removal of housing. And so we have um, single family homes and now outreach. There's a there's a great there's a great uh, author called Strong, Strong Towns. It costs more money, for example, to live in Rancho Bernardo with a beautiful home, the high levels of property tax, right, than it is to live in Barrio Logan because you're closer to, in the infrastructure, the property value. All these things are factored in that most often when you do the calculations, according to Strong Towns, uh, is that the lower income neighborhoods actually pay and bear the burden of higher income housing because there's larger property, there's single family homes. They're further away from a lot of the historical infrastructure, plumbing, undergrounding, water. And so sewage, all those things are factored in if you count it for per acre of the plot of land. Um, living on top of each other, living and that's often done in lower income communities, they pay for it. So this isn't just, you know, paying extra money. There's money being spent that's already going into trying to find solutions. But we should also we should be strategic and recognize and look at it and say there's injustices that have happened. We're already paying for it in a lot of ways and through multiple factors of education, healthcare, all. Sure, immigrant. sure. Why don't we look at it and look at it and be more succinct and direct and say, this isn't just equality because we're supporting, you know, m- homes that are more expensive. Mm. They're paying higher property tax. And we've always thought, I was like, oh, those so guys are. So this is, so th- this is uh, really interesting. So mm-hmm. you're saying that the, the reparations that you're talking about are actually going to be a benefit to everybody. A hundred percent. It's because it's going. We're to, all Americans. Yes. It's well. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's literally because of the investment in the community. It's going to it's going to heal a lot of problems that are also a very very expensive. Yes. And ultimately, it's going to end up doing everybody yes. great. But I do want to be clear. It should go. The reparations goes to black communities. Yeah. But I'm my point is just like there was racist policies that was spelled out. Black people can't live in this neighborhood. Yeah. That still hurt Asian people, Hispanic what if, people. What if white So do you see how there's a tertiary trickle-down yeah. effect, even though black people were the ones who were spelled out in policy and law? Yeah. Same thing. Black people, the black community, deserve the reparations because it was promised and owed by the United States government, and they fought and bled for it and served for you know all, everything I've already spoken about. Yeah. But there's still a tertiary effect. Investing in Americans and all having creating opportunities, self-determination, instead of being sitting waiting for government funding is more of a solution. What if white people start moving into that black community? What then? What about it? I'm just curious. Does, do they lose the reparation? Like yeah. I already do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about it? <laughs> I was just making a joke. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> that's called gentrification. Okay. <laughs> so, well, you know what, Eric, um, you know, uh, you've given me a lot to think about, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, um, this it's whole discussion is very interesting. I'm, I'm learning a ton and I'm doing a lot of research and a lot of reading. So, um, thanks a lot. appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's really good to see you. Yeah. You're you a too. great teacher yeah. and I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks Eric. Awesome, thanks. man. Well, um, this show went really long. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope it's been a blessing to you and we're going to continue to talk about these issues along with lots of other apologetic issues. So again, uh, my website is educateforlife.org. You can check it out there. And uh, Eric's Facebook page, Young Black Sheep. And um, 
him and his sister giving their thoughts and insight and uh, very intelligent guy doing lots of cool stuff. So check him out and uh, his sister and what they're doing. Thanks for being with us today. I hope you guys have a great weekend and um, stay safe. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243.